Hello, today I'm here with Jahan Khamsesadeh. He completed his dissertation on psychedelics in the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness program at the California Institute of Integral Studies, so he is a PhD. And it is a legendary school for spiritual and psychedelic scholars, so that's very cool that you were able to go there. And he has also undergone several major trainings, one of them being with the Mazatec mushroom tradition. And you also wrote a book that I really want to read. And can you give us a quick little summary of it before we dive deep into this? Yeah, this, the book was my dissertation, but I wrote it with the intention, first and foremost, being a book. And I've been uh, interested in psilocybin now for 20 years. It really changed my life. And at the heart was this idea first put forward by Terence and Dennis McKenna that perhaps it had been psilocybin mushrooms that catalyzed human evolution. And after 20 years of looking at it and studying evolution from every facet academically, it was still the most grounded explanation I've ever come across. And so I felt the evidence needed to be updated because it had been decades since Terrence and Dennis put out that idea and so much of the science seemed to add up. So the beginning of the book goes, it's like the most comprehensive book on psilocybin and I mean that humbly. I had to read like every other thing written on it. Uh, 75, 75 books I read on psychedelics just to write this one book. Wow. And so, yeah, the first chapter goes through all the science. The second chapter, the kind of philosophy and metaphysics to make it sense. The third is how ecologies evolve because psilocybin grew within an ecosystem. Chapter four and five are the deep history of the prehistoric humanity from primate evolution all the way to the modern era and the role psychedelics have played. And the last few chapters have to do with the future, the role psychedelics can play in helping us continuously to evolve. Wow, that sounds incredible. I need to get my hands on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm so glad we have your brains on the show today. And I wanted to start off with talking about the stoned ape theory, you know, developed mm -hmm. by Terrence and Dennis McKenna. Um, that you were just talking about that, you know, our ancestors ate a lot of magic mushrooms, which could have helped develop our consciousness and, you know, create language and all this stuff, which is very fascinating. So I'm curious on your perspective on this and how, why, why do you believe psilocybin helped catalyze our early human ancestors' social evolution? For sure. There's so many layers to the explanation from this, um... And, it, and to be honest, in 20 years, I haven't found a single contradiction. Like, I've had to sit there and defend it. And, and so that's one of the things that have been so amazing. And at the premise, it's, it's, it's very simple. makes a lot of sense. And Terrence and Dennis McKenna arrived to this because it's obvious there's an expansion of human consciousness compared to the rest of the animal kingdom. We can clearly see that. Mm -hmm. And their idea was that there's perhaps consciousness expanding compounds in the environment where we evolved. Super grounded explanation of how this would happen uh, based on diets and chemicals and ecology. And um, as Paul Stamets, probably the world's best known mycologist, uh, points out the most common mushroom in the Africa savanna is the psilocybin variety, right? There's over 200 different species of psilocybin mushrooms found on every continent but Antarctica. And to really get to the root of this, of like, why do mushrooms help us evolve? We have to really see them in an evolutionary ecological context. And so there's three main kingdoms in, in the biology of life in terms of larger there's the animal kingdom plant kingdom and fun guy and two other smaller kingdoms having to do with cellular life 
And so fungi evolved about 2.5 billion years ago, the animal kingdom about 500 million. So it dwarfs us about five times over. And it created the first root systems of plants. You know, 90% of plants have a symbiotic relationship to mycelium, the large underground structure of mushroom. And so we've always been living on top of this living network and web that sends electrical impulses to all the plants in the environment, breaks down matter, turns it into food for the rest of the ecosystem. And so out of this living network comes mushrooms, the cap and stem formation, and some of these have psilocybin, which mimic serotonin and fits into the 5-HT2A serotonin receptor better than serotonin itself, creating a hyper-connected brain state, stimulating what's known as neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons, and brain physically begins to grow. You know, now we have decades of research showing how it decreases anxiety, decreases depression, increases creativity and empathy. Uh, 65% of people in right setting setting have a mystical experience. So when we start putting these pieces together, we get the legitimate reason of how our brain developed, how religion started to come to play, the creation of language, the creation of art, you know, society as a culture, you know, it really starts to fit all these missing facets of how human beings actually, you know, arose on this planet. Yeah, that's, wow, that's awesome. And I actually in my class today, I'm in a class called Plagues, Food and People. And my professor started Mm. talking about psilocybin, you know, perfect day. (laughs) And he asked this question, and it really made me just sit there and stare at the wall. I was like, I wish I knew this answer. But he said, why do you think uh, psilocybin was, you know, made in, in these fungi? Like, was it an accident? Mm-hmm. Was it on purpose? Like, what mm. could have caused this to have s- such a relationship with this fungus? And I mean, like, animals do it as well. You know, there's like, what, deers and stuff that like to eat magic yeah. mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what do they gain from it? Like, there's a lot of stuff. It gets really deep in there, right? So, yeah. so how would... What is, is there any evidence for how mushrooms would have helped us like create, you know, language or, you know, develop us in these different ways? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely want to take a shot of like why it developed in the ways it's, 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 it's helped us. Um, you know, as you pointed out, it's, it's other animals eat it too. There's a good book by Giorgio Saramani, an Italian ethnobotanist called Animals and Psychedelics. And it goes through a list of all the other animals that eat psychedelics. And there's this good work done by Ronald Kelly Seagull. He was a UCLA psychopharmacologist, a professor there for 20 years. And he wrote this book, Intoxication, right? And during his decades in academia, he found that about 93% of the animal kingdom alters its consciousness chemically. It's so rampant, he calls it the fourth drive of evolution. So after the drive for sex and food and sleep, given an opportunity, animals will alter their consciousness. So we have this drive towards novelty and newness and changing states. And so what we're seeing is that this was a part of the natural process of the entire Earth's development, including animals. We've just been so estranged from wild animals and seeing what they do, and from the rest of nature and all the you know pharmacology that grows out of it that we've been blind to this, you know. So, kind of just grounding it more and more of even why does this exist? Um, Merlin Sheldrake, he's another uh, mycologist. He wrote this book, Entangled Life, that came out about a couple years ago. Um, Rupert Sheldrake's son, and he got his PhD working on mycology. He shows that uh, psilocybin has evolved throughout the planet through a process called horizontal gene transfer, which is kind of a rare form in the way that it, psilocybin kept developing all over the planet 
kind of spontaneously on its own. And the only reason organisms would do this is that it has some kind of evolutionary advantage. You know, it, it, so it wasn't just through kind of regular routes or re reproduction. And uh, insight came from me reading um, this book uh, by Richard Doyle, also a professor called Darwin's Pharmacy, Sex, Plants, and Evolution in the Noosphere. And he read thousands of trip reports and he found out that the prime psychedelic insight people experience is that they, they realize they're part of a vast interconnected living system and they should be returned ecodelics. So what we see now is that there's chemicals in the environment that give us ecological awareness, right? And so there's a lot of reasons for the ecology to do that. The more we're living in harmony with the environment, the more the harmony lasts and is more vibrant, right? So it was Paul Stamets, he says, if you want to see the health of an ecosystem, you go to the mycelium and see how healthy it is because it connects everything, right? So mycelium can pretty much live forever if the host environment is healthy. So there's a lot of incentives for nature to create compounds that make us caring, right? And aware and to develop and expand yeah. consciousness. There's a lot to gain. So this is, again, putting it in within the larger context of the planet. It's part of the Earth's natural resources of way it regulates itself, including its consciousness. I never thought about it that way. That's That's really beautiful to think about because... I feel like when I consume the mushroom, I feel like I can talk to, you know, the Gaia's soul, like it wants to spread love through me. And I totally believe that, you know, the earth, to develop the earth consciousness, all of us have to be able to expand our consciousness. And if we need something to do it through, like, yes, we can do it ourselves as well. But the fact that nature already provides this gateway you know, yeah. that says a lot. <laughs> and yeah. the feelings it provides us with, the healing, the um, the profound lessons, it can be like it knows what exactly it needs to tell you. It knows how to um, help you raise yourself into a higher vibration. And that is honestly mm -hmm. incredible. So yeah. we have, mm -hmm. we know that psilocybin helps us ex expand our consciousness so we know the importance of that but what about other fungi uh, mm. what roles have they played and continue to play mm. on our planet why are they so yeah important? no let, let's go do that and and i just want to circle back on something you said because uh, i think there's this idea because we, we come from such a individualistic society which is has its beautiful parts for sure the thinking that we can do this by ourselves and i think honestly if we could have spiritually developed or created a more wise enlightened society it would have happened by now like there's spiritual teachings out there there's meditation there's all this stuff and the truth is i don't think we can do it without nature and there's a reason there's thousands of different psychedelic compounds growing across nature because it's the way nature communicates with us and something terence mckenna the great kind of psychedelic philosopher says it's like we have to come to this point of humbleness to realize we can't do it by ourselves that we're that interconnected we depend on plants for all our food right we even if you eat other animals they eat plants right we depend on plants for our oxygen you know our sense of well-being what if our intellect and our spirit depends on them too like the whole structures that interconnected to do it by ourselves means like we're isolated from the rest of the structure, right? So I feel we've been yeah. off balance because we haven't been using these psychedelics to grow in almost every ecosystem. And as you're pointing out, there's so many different kinds of fungi. Um, you know, it's kind of circling back to what I just said about Paul Stem. It's the way that nature regulates itself is partly through this mycelial structure. You know, it's these webs of life and now can just focus on plants fungi and, and animals were that interlinked super independent 
You know, as he points out to, you know, and had mentioned 90% of plants have a symbiotic relationship to, to, to mycelium. They were the first root systems. That's how plants even have roots. The first were mycelial structures and they turn into roots. And 80% of plants would stop existing if mycelium stopped existing, right? So the entire biosphere high-level organisms, including the animal kingdom, would die. So we're that dependent on, on fungi. And so fungi has evolved to treat so much of a host of things, including our immune systems, you know, and as studies show even with lion manes, memory and brain development, and I think, you know, in terms of spirituality and creativity, definitely psilocybin. And so because mycelium largely lives underground, it goes unnoticed, for, so so we're like really just beginning culturally to get interested in crack the code. And as Yuva Noah Harari points out in his best-selling book, Sapiens, you know, there's a reason mushrooms didn't make it to the agricultural revolution where we started learning how to grow plants for food. He's like, mushrooms grow from spores. They're microscopic. So they eluded us completely. And it's only since the 1970s and 80s, thanks to Terrence and Dennis McKenna that wrote the first psilocybin mushroom growers guides, that we even have knowledge how to cultivate these mushrooms ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I know some people who aren't as into the mushroom spirit would be like, you're crazy. But I truly believe that mushrooms and us had a such closer relationship and we were like meant to evolve together. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it now and then we just got pulled apart from all the, the drug wars and everything. And now it's just trying to come back. It's like I see it as almost like the, um, you know, with the two fingers like trying to touch each other. <laughs> You know, like that painting, like it's the amount of power these mushrooms have in so many ways, not only to boost your immune system, but also for our brains and for understanding ourselves. It just goes Mm -hmm. to show like we are meant to have this in our lives. Why are we being restricted from this beautiful, you know, tool for ourselves? Like, you know, obviously mm. we could, there's many arguments that could be made. Like, yeah. yes, they don't want us to expand our consciousness, but mm-hmm. yeah. whew, now speaking of that, where do you mm-hmm. think mushrooms take us? <laughs> like, where, what does it do to your level of consciousness? I mean, there's so many layers to that. You know, maybe the quick answer is they take us to ourselves. You know, if we really are that symbiotically intertwined, which I think we are, everything on the planet is, but specifically... I think this kind of chemical from this fungus and us, because I think it really did shape our consciousness and create us and give us these capacities we now have, then therefore this identity of actually being human is really intertwined with with fungi, with this kind of fungus. And so what I've seen across the board, you know, I've been holding legal ceremonies in Jamaica now for many years, is that what people experience especially they experience connecting deeply more with themselves, with their heart, with their mind, with their body, with all their relationships and with their planet. And so people can feel a greater sense of themness, of their uniqueness, of their being, and also their unity with everything, which I think is at the core of all of us. We're that deeply connected as one consciousness, right? And and all these things can seem like silly ideas. I was an atheist before I took mushrooms, right? Like it seemed like silly, but then you can have these direct experiences where it's so evident of the interconnectedness of everything, you know? So they take us deeper to the core of this existence and mystery that we're always a part of. Hmm. So what about when you, you know, break through into another place, like you're not here anymore, you're in another dimension and you encounter beings that you know you've never seen before and they want to connect with you what do you think these beings 
are a part of ourselves or are different layers of our consciousness? Or do mm. you think, you know, they could be existing in this other realm that we can access? You know, I think the encounter with other intelligent uh, subjects and entities is one of the most fascinating part of psychedelics by far. Yes. And I don't think we have an adequate paradigm, which like an adequate framework of understanding what is going on because it's, it's so outside of our scope of what we normally think of reality. And I spent so much of my masters and a lot of my doctors understanding the development of paradigms. Humanity's gone through at least seven or eight major worldview changes, you know, for the last just a few thousand years, you know, even, you know, we think we're the center of the universe and we realize there's other planets we have to change everything. And then we realize there's evolution in the big bang we have to change everything. And so what happens is we, we think we have things figured out that we hit some anomaly, some kind of set of facts. And then we're like, fuck, we know how to make sense of this. And we can no longer pretend this isn't real, so we have to reorganize our entire structure of, of understanding. And in the realm of entities in psychedelic spaces, I, people keep seeing the same entities over and over and using the scientific method, meaning that we have a set protocol and we keep doing it over and over and keep getting the same results. You know, so I, th I believe there's studies being done right now at the Imperial College of London on uh, entities experience in the DMT space. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. people keep doing it over and over, right? And so it's strange that we could fall even 65% of people with psilocybin have mystical experiences where they're kind of coming in contact with some deep intelligence. So the idea that we can do this in a very scientific way and keep getting the same results, meaning there's some objective reality to this, right? And for me, there's, I think the most profound things I've experienced on psychedelics is encountering something deeply intelligent that wasn't me. Right. So and so it yeah. re makes you change the whole game of what you are, what reality of humans were no longer the most important, you know, intelligent things in the universe. There's, there's something that knows a lot more. And to this thing of people can reduce it and be like, maybe it's just in my brain. And I kind of want to point out the work of um, death psychologist Carl Jung, who worked a lot in the field of psychology, created the idea of like the collective unconscious and so on. And so he brought this idea of archetypes, you know, so this is just one framework. And for them, you know, people could think of archetypes is just something in their system, but there's these collective archetypes. And at some point in his method that was more like um, creative dreaming, he was just doing daydreaming, but then he started talking to these archetypes. And then the archetype responded, this is like in 1912, responded with, oh my God, you think I'm just in your head, don't you? And then he realized that these archetypes are these autonomous beings that live in everybody, you know, and it, it put him into almost a bit of a psychosis. Um, and he wrote the red book, which was his journal. But he said during those periods of his years came all these theories that kind of revitalized and changed psychology over the next 40 years. It came from this period of these insights of knowing that there's these actual living kind of archetypal psychic entities, you know, and it does have it that forces us to change everything about who and what we think we are. So I think we have a long way to go to build relationship with these other dimensions that I think indigenous cultures have been in touch with for millennia. Yeah, I, I think it's cool that you, you brought that up uh, with that entity saying, you know, it's funny you think I'm human because during my first breakthrough, when I was talking to uh, an entity who was walking me through my whole life, it was telling me that um, even though you're in a different place right now, like it, it acknowledged that I was in a different level of consciousness. It is your job when you come out of this to do all these things that I've told you to do and all this stuff. And it also told me that you have to stop relying on your human tendencies and you have to start 
putting in the work towards your mission. I was like, okay, it knows that I'm human and it knows that it's not. <laughs> like, it's definitely casting this, this sort of separation. Now, I don't know if it was another level of my own consciousness, like my higher self, or it was another being. But when I, the more I think about it, the more I think it was just another, it was my higher self because of how much it knew about me and how much it healed me and motivated me to keep driving towards my purpose. Um, so yeah, this, once you have that kind of experience, it just completely changes your view and you want to know like, what realm are these people in? Are they all in my head? But, um, but the people who say, oh, your brain just made it up. You know, there's many arguments that that's not because I also saw beings I've never seen before when I first entered this realm and I saw their images on cave paintings and on a film I was watching. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so they, it was the, from the Australian Aboriginal people, the, uh, it was the, their, their um, description of spirits. Mm -hmm. It starts with a W, I forgot what it was, but... Mm. yeah so there's I mean, something the, else going on there there's so much there uh, definitely to point out and there's this great co cognitive archaeologist david lewis williams who studied cave art for like 40 years and what he kind of came to he believes that the birthing of cave art which is like some of the oldest arts in humanity was catalyzed by psychedelic states and there's a lot of you can reason why this would be the case because caves provide a sense of safety to have these kind of level of ceremonies right you're protected from the weather you're protected from predators it's dark in there and the shamans can uphold the ceremony and so even seeing of like how did art first appear it's like first you're taking the psychedelic you're having these visionary experiences that are projected on the environment then you simply have to trace those things you're seeing on the wall right and the first cave art through all of human history across the world there's first and foremost geometric designs and then you start seeing more and more advanced stuff and the number one archetypal kind of characters i've seen from everybody across the board is the sense of sacred geometry especially at the beginning and you know you can be any culture any religion it doesn't matter you start seeing these mathematical archetypal geometric symbols that are universal this geometry is going to be the same on every planet so Definitely, I think that there's that, that element of why maybe the cave art across the world is the same, but also we see the similarity when we take psychedelics. And if you don't mind, if it's too personal, you know, it's all right, but I'm curious what your mission was and what this being was. What did they say to you? Yeah, yeah, of course. So the, the being that came to me, it had a mushroom head and mm -hmm. uh, two very familiar eyes and a humanoid body and... Mm -hmm. You know, after this was I was freaking out during this whole experience because yeah. I've never broken through, and I was just <laughs> like, "Yo," you know. So, but the mm. second I looked into this entity's eyes, I just immediately felt calm and peaceful. I was like, "This is the mushroom god," you know. Mm. It it got me. It's gonna take care of me. And it, mm. you know, reached out his hand and said, "Let me show you." Mm. Um, and it started. It showed me my soul. Showed me, you know, it just gave me a lot of confidence again for something I was struggling with and it was showing me you're you're an eternal being, you know, mm. you deserve to have um, another powerful soul to love you, you know, stuff like that. And then it was showing me all my dreams that I wanted. You know, mm. me I was on a yacht at one point <laughs> and it was like, you deserve all of these things because you have come here for a good purpose. Mm. And it was saying that um, it was to heal people. And, you know, I don't know exactly how in, in what form I'm to heal people, but it's a mm -hmm. lot about awakening the consciousness 
and it was showing me people on earth and how they're very gray and numb and they were they're pulled apart from who they truly are and they need to uh, get back to the powerful beings that they are and it was telling me to awaken them and grow the shrooms and give people the shrooms and it was just like you know there's a whole whole god in there that's just wants more people to have access to mushrooms because i swear it just wants to help people and that's the feeling i've gotten every time i've i've had you know a ceremony with them it's just a very beautiful connection i feel i have with the mushroom um And I also wanted to hear your perspective. You know, I'm sure there's a reason you feel very called to this. Mm. And, you know, is, was there a moment it, that made you realize that you wanted to study this? Was there a trip experience? Yeah, I mean, yeah definitely. There was, there was many, you know. And uh, first to share the whole why would the mushroom want to help us. You know, what I've seen is that the deep, mystery of existence is that we're all one you know and i think any being that really whether it's meditation religious experience spontaneousness um psychedelics especially i think any beings more aware than us are going to realize that deep unity through everything and when you realize that you are inherently all this or you're part of a larger body the instinct is to help others right like if our deep essence is love that's the impulse and kind of pulling the work of um Abraham Maslow, who's a great developmental psychologist, he created that kind of the hierarchy of needs of motivations. And a lot of people think it ends at self-actualization because that was the top of his model. But the last 10 years of his life, he said there was one other stage after that, which was called transcendence. And the whole focus of the people's life now becomes being of service and purpose and helping others because that's where we find the most meaning. Right. And so if we're talking to beings that are more aware than us, they would have this innate knowledge, too, that we are each other and the most meaning we get is from helping others. Right. So there's a lot of reason the mushroom or these other entities would want to help us, you know, so to bring that deep sense of safety. As far as for me, um, I had a huge psychedelic experience at 18 at a concert that changed my life. It kind of we are love and light the whole and it really radically changed everything about me in, in 90 minutes. And then I had a few other journeys that really kept pushing me towards this path. And about a couple months after that journey, um, I went camping and took some more mushrooms and I saw images. It seemed uh, 40,000 years ago of this kind of more native American person in a cave giving mushroom tea to people. And I knew it was me. I saw his face and the energy and I was like, that was me. And I was like, I used to give mushrooms to people like 40 fucking thousand years ago. We can interpret that however you want, you know, but that was the sense. I looked at it and I knew that was me and that was the message coming across. And then there was this kind of intuitive message that come in my 30s. I'd be giving mushrooms again. Right. And this is I'm like 18 in Tucson, Arizona, 2002. This isn't a part of the culture. I was like, well, we'll see that happens. I mean, there's no profession for this. I can't go to school for this. So I went to school for other things, first neuroscience and then physics. And then a mushroom journey said to leave physics and study mysticism. And I was like, that's not even a profession. That's not a job. (laughs) Um, So I wrestled with that. Now it's hard, but I eventually left physics and I studied philosophy and minored in psych, physics and math. And they came to the barrier to got the master's in consciousness then working on the doctors. And then during the doctors, I was, I had a lot of scarcity mindset around money. My parents were illegal. You know, I was making $15 an hour at school and, and school and studying was my full-time thing, like learning and growing. 
And um, so I decided to create a cannabis operation. So I turned a bedroom and then a large garage and a cannabis operation. And there was this very specific day that everything fell apart. The person that was supposed to take care of my stuff when I was vacation didn't. It ruined my entire crop. I lost a shitload of money. And I felt so hurt. I was like, I invested so much in this. Why is this happening? And the way I dealt with it, I was like, I was really at my edge. And I was like, I need to die. Like, I need to go through a death right now. So I went into the dark room that I created for the cannabis plants and just like took all the medicine I had, all the psychedelics I have. I was like, you need to, wow. this is, you need to face something right here. This is a lot mm-hmm. to, to, to make sense of this. And so I was like, you're pushed to the point of like, I need to, the part of me needs to come to some truth and to let go and die. And, and, um, mm-hmm. And so I had that experience and it, you know, realized I was going into cannabis, which is a beautiful plant, but it was not my passion. And I was doing it for money and security. And that what I really need to be studying is psychedelics because that's been the most transformative thing in my life. And so I made a deep commitment there to sign up for a various amount of different psychedelic guide trainings, you know, and, and there was another download at a festival. It was like, hey, this is, this is the future of your life. You wanted to know what you were supposed to do. Here it is. And so I kind of like had to let go of all these other things that I was choosing out of security and kind of like follow my intuition. And since then, it's just been pure magic. Yeah. Wow. That's very powerful. So what were your your trainings like? How did you find these places and um, what did you learn mm. from these people? Hey, I can say some of that. Um. You know, there's a well-known teachers, um, uh, Francois Borzat being the most well-known. She wrote the book Consciousness Medicine, and she'd been working with the Mazatex for 30 years. And for those that don't know, it's it's because of the Mazatex, we even have awareness of the mushrooms. And you know, the quick stories of Gordon Wasson, um, the vice president, J.P. Morgan, was interested in mushrooms, found the Mazatex, and they, that they kind of have these mushroom prayer rituals, went and visited, um, had a sermon with Maria Sabina, now a well-known curandera. And then published his reports in 1957 in Life magazine, and then the whole culture at large became aware of psychedelics. Before that, there was some stuff with LSD going around, but more with with intellectuals. It wasn't really available to the public. And because of this, Timothy Leary went to Mexico to try mushrooms and then really later found LSD, and the whole kind of hippie movement and kind of psychedelic movement occurred. Um, So I spent a few years training with her. You know, went down there with with them and, and kind of really learned a lot from their lineage. And because she was also really infused, not just with the kind of indigenous knowing, but Western psychotherapy, you know. And so they also did a two years training in somatic psychotherapy called Hakomi. And during this time, also assisted for two years at the psychedelic certificate training at CIS, which was the first above ground training, you know. Um, and since then, I mentored for a year at the School of Conscious Medicine, I was just um, a content advisor for synthesis and also taught, started teaching now a few classes on sex and psychedelics because I think that's a really interesting intersection. Um, and there, another psychedelic program, an integration program I've helped in. And so a lot of the focus has also been on education. I wanted to be a professor for like 15 years, you know, so now there's this mix wow. of having, uh, holding psychedelic space, but I feel collectively, you know, the part we need to work on is the stigma and education. You know, that's like the first step of introducing people to yes, this whole yeah. realm, you know, and because and, most people are scared because it's something so radically different than anything else on the planet. Definitely. And this is the part that I missed on my trip that was saying, you know, what I'm doing now, even with this podcast, 
was actually helping my mission because the first step is education and destigmatizing and that's literally the po most powerful thing just spreading this education because you just need to put that seed you know just like plant that little seed into people's minds and just open them up to what is possible so that is awesome and what is it like i know you've ran retreats in jamaica and stuff like that what is it like to run a retreat um do people there are they all usually on the same like wavelength or do some people come in who have um you know different energies that might disrupt the group like i've never been to a retreat so i don't know but i know that some people might be a little um nervous about being with people they don't really know that well and what might happen I don't know. yeah it's been beautiful you know i've been we were the second it was with the almond retreats uh like the second psilocybin retreat out there sort of like five years ago and it's done really really well and we wanted to first create a safe legal way for people to try it you know there's a lot, huge portion of the population that doesn't want to do something if it's illegal and maybe because their jobs are really scared or they just don't know how to find any and they don't have access to uh, like a guide or a therapist and what we found a way um during that first retreat, which is, you know, intuitively would have been self-evident that a huge part of the healing actually came from the group container. You know, first and foremost is the medicine. Most of our trauma is around relationships, whether it's parents, family members, partners, society. So much of our anxiety and depression comes from a state of not feeling like we don't like we don't belong. You know, and we evolved in a tribal setting for hundreds of thousands of years. And so for these four days, you're geared with 12 people. And we do all these interpersonal exercises to build safety and connection between them. Then you have this big group experience, then like layers of integration together. And everybody bonds deeply, even though they came for different reasons. And it's they're so lit up here over and over again. We didn't know how much medicine it was going to be to connect with the group. You know, again, we facilitate in a way that happens like that, but years out, a lot of them have remained close friends, you know, so you create this kind of family feeling that heals so much of our strangeness. And I think that's one thing, you know, psychedelics generally help us do is to heal our relationships. I think that's really the whole point of why we're here in human. Definitely. That's awesome. I mean, the fact that you do like that bonding um, for people to connect totally. and not feel totally. as like, oh, I'm just tripping with all these random people. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that definitely makes it sound way more um, special yeah. to be able to potentially build those types of friendships and heal together. Because with that, you know, how we've evolved. We love being in groups. We love feeling um, connected to people. So yeah. I never thought about how that can be much more healing than, you know, maybe just doing it by yourself, especially if you're like, beginner you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. uh and have the yeah. guidance and make sure you're you're going to be safe and all that totally i'm in the um, process right now of setting up three more different retreats outside of that organization you know because it's, it's want to make it more accessible and kind of customize things and see what i've learned and do things in a new way you know and so you kind of asked about the wavelength of people people with high level of trauma the guy deal with a lot of high level ptsd my different levels of work, it's better to do a private sessions with one-to-one. -one. And so you need somebody that's somewhat stable. Most people come for depression and anxiety. There's people that come because they're in cancer. Sometimes their child has died. So sometimes it's really serious stuff, but it's like you want people to be somewhat stable in life before kind of doing a, a group journey. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so speaking of that, 
what does what can psilocybin potentially do to your ego you know the the Mm. positive and the negative sides of it yeah that's good you know it's it's one of those i've actually been asked that a few times this last two or three days which is super interesting you know because what normally gets written about which is very real is the possibility of ego death and then with that comes the opportunity with this kind of infinite unity which i think that sense of unity is the most healing kind of feeling the connection to everything heals most of our wounds and in the brain what happens is it quiets what's called the default mode network for most people which is identified with the ego part of the self so when you think me 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 i i i this network kind of lights up and it's overdeveloped with people that are anxiety or depression because if you're constantly in pain you're going to be self-absorbed right so and so that network quiets down which it turns out that network as acts as a repressive function for the rest of you the rest of your being so when that network quiets down the whole brain hyperconnects, and then people experience kind of unity and more creativity and more empathy and so on that being said you know there is a possibility of ego inflation you know i've seen it i've had it i've seen other people have it where you have this experience of oneness or connection of god or you have a download of your mission and then there's like we're all special. I think that's a part of the deep truth of the universe. We're individual and we're all special, but we're all special, right? So in that sense, we're all equal. And what I've seen is some people, you know, it's a little bit more towards the narcissistic trait where like they're special and they, they're more special for everybody. And then that creates disconnection. Anytime you think you're better than somebody else, you're feeling disconnected from them and, and it alienates people. And, and so there is that potential. And there's potential at times of, of mania, like the, the positives are far more than the negatives, but I've seen people go through small manic states where, you know, and I've, I've had small episodes of this too, where you're like, oh my God, I figure out my life mission. I have to go do it right now, you know? And, and, and it was, it's, you know, it's intense. You're really inspired, you know? And it's like, yeah, maybe you saw a potential life mission, but you might have decades to carry it out. You know, it doesn't yeah. all have to happen in the next three, four or five months, you know, but you're really inspired because you're like, I finally found this thing I really want to do. So having integration with community is really important. A lot of checks and balances all around. Like it's made to be done. You know, I think Terrence McKenna had five diagrams in darkness by yourself. And um, I found that can cause trauma in some people. But I think it's it's more helpful you're done in community and in different levels of containers with if, with professionals if possible. Yeah. Um, I was actually reading a book called A New Earth. I love it. It talks all about the mm-hmm. ego. Mm-hmm. And I read something that really lit me up because it said, mm-hmm. when we try to understand who we are and create our identity and try to make our thought our identity, then it just it can be so detrimental <laughs> to you because why do you need to... F- we always try to figure out who we are. Who, mm-hmm. and we, we take anything, like your ego will go towards the things that you you like to create this identity even if it's not good for you or even if it is good for you but mm-hmm. especially with a psychedelic experience where you're all these things um it can really be a hard hit because you think you need to figure everything out and it's not true like you're not you don't need to figure everything out you can just be that's the point It'll send, sometimes when you have a breakthrough, it'll send you the message way too fast. (laughs) But it is going to give you, it needs to give you that time to integrate it and to find your place and to bring yourself down again. And remember remember that we're all equal and Mm. your purpose 
is to just be a source of happiness for the people around you. Just be a good person, man. Like, you know, if we can make the argument that we're all eternal beings, we've had a lot of stuff happen to us already. So our bodies and this mask and everything we think we are is not actually who we think we are. Mm -hmm. We just are. (laughs) Beautifully well said. Yeah, yeah right. there's, there's there's like some quotes that come to mind. Uh, first, it's Terence McKenna, and he says, the mystery of the universe is not a problem to be solved. It's to be experienced. So you're here to experience mm-hmm. a mystery, not to solve it as if it's some kind of yes. puzzle or problem. And, you know, I studied Diamond Heart for a while. He's this teaching by A.H. Almas and kind of spiritual psychological development. And he's like, you know, the personality moves through these different stages versus I am dot 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 i am my name i'm this profession i'm this job these these kind of roles and if you keep kind of dissolving and doing this work you just come to i am which is kind of like the state of presence and even at that some point that kind of goes away and you're just like you're just mystery you know inherently we are with this like never-ending fountain of creativity and it reminds me of one more quote from the great comedian bill hicks that talked a lot about psychedelics and he's like how about why doesn't the news do a positive drug story for chance He's like, for example, today, a young man on acid realized that we're all matters nearly energy conven- condensed to a slower vibration. We are all one consciousness exploring itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death. Life is but a dream, and we are the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. But what stands out there for me there is just like we are the imagination of ourselves. You know, we're like that kind of God form dreaming that we are whatever we think we are. And sometimes it's very limited. You know, that's the ego, a kind of small structure. Then we're stuck inside these little bubbles. But the more we kind of dissolve these bubbles, you know, going all the way to inter- eternal and infinite and one, like, mm-hmm. it's just never-ending novelty and newness. You know, there's more a zest for being alive because you kind of come to this place of, like, I don't know everything, including myself. You know, it's yeah. forever unfolding and evolving. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Like, a powerful thing I heard is that your ego wants control with everything it just wants to know but when you let it win it can be very hard on you and there's just no point in stressing out over that stuff you know mm-hmm. and and just yeah. be just live so yeah that was <laughs> most of my questions for you today and can mm. you please list your book and where people can find you um mm. and i will list it in the description as well yeah, please. Thanks. Yeah. Um, the book's name is The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, The Transformation of Consciousness, An Evolution on the Planet, An Integral Approach. It's um, distributed by Penguin Random House, so it's available on every platform, you know, so it's Barnes & Nobles, Amazons, Targets, all of them. Um, there's also a ebook version, so it's on Kindle, and there's an audiobook version, so you can find it on Audible and all the other platforms. Um, the website's psychedelicevolution.org. And you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. For sure. Oh, this is so much fun. It was a pleasure. to. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people 
receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode. Yeah.